Hello and welcome to this Brussels to Beijing policy podcast from S&P Global Platts on March the 7th. I'm Siobhan Hall, Platts' expert on EU energy policy based in Brussels, and I'm joined from London by our senior writer for European Gas, Stuart Elliott. Today, we're talking about one of our most popular topics, Russia's planned Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Germany and the EU's efforts to regulate it. The potential ramifications of EU ministers' recent agreement to go ahead with this range from nearly business as usual to ending Gazprom's export monopoly for pipeline gas to Europe, opening up access to rival gas suppliers via Ukraine. Now, I've been talking and listening to a lot of people in Brussels on this topic, so I'm going to hand over now to Stuart to lead this conversation. Over to you, Stuart. Thanks, Siobhan. Well, the first question has to be, how will these regulatory changes to the EU's gas directive impact Nord Stream 2? Well, I think it's going to result in Germany regulating Nord Stream 2's tariffs for just the EU section of the pipeline. So that's the last 22 kilometres of the full 1,200-kilometre pipeline. That's just under 2% of the total. So it's very small, but it is significant. And why is that? What, what difference will it make? Well, even this small toehold will force the project company, which is owned by Gazprom, to reveal information about Nord Stream 2's costs and tariffs. And that could be enough to allow Ukraine, which operates a rival transit route, to lower its tariffs enough to compete on price. But Gazprom has a pipeline export monopoly, doesn't it? So it is the only potential customer for the Ukrainian route. And it's clear that it would prefer to use Nord Stream 2, no? Well, yes, that's, uh, that's true. But what might be interesting here and certainly what Ukraine is hoping for is that Gazprom's customers, uh, the European gas companies, could ask for gas routed via Ukraine if Ukraine can make it cheaper or as cheap as gas via Nord Stream 2. So do we have a chicken and egg problem here for Ukraine? Because it can only offer cheaper tariffs if Gazprom transits large volumes, and that doesn't seem likely after the end of this year when the transit contract expires. Yes, that's a good point. And in fact, um, Naftogas, Ukraine's gas company, is saying it thinks Russian gas transit for Ukraine could drop to zero from January the 1st, even if Nord Stream 2 is delayed slightly and doesn't come online by the end of this year as planned. So Naftogas thinks Russia can cover its supply commitments with um, gas in European storage and, and other options, at least in the short term. Well, we know Russia sent 87 BCM of gas via Ukraine last year, so that's a lot to cover without Nord Stream 2, which would be able to flow 55 BCM a year. Yes, I think Naftogas is pushing this idea that Ukraine is going to lose that completely to pressure Germany, basically, to help it. Because one of the alternatives to Germany simply regulating the last part of Nord Stream 2 is for it to agree an intergovernmental agreement with Russia for the whole pipeline. Ah, okay. And what difference would that make then? Well, um, Naftogas has a really big wish list of what it wants included in this agreement with the emphasis on wish. So it wants Germany to get Russia to agree to end Gazprom's pipeline export monopoly and allow independent Russian gas producers, so for example, Rosneft and Novatek, to export. And they would be potential new customers for the Ukrainian route. Okay, well, I'm not sure why Russia would agree to that, but go on. Yep, okay, so there's more. 
Um, NAFTA Gas also wants Russia to allow Central Asian countries to export gas via Russia to Europe. And these, again, could be potential customers for the Ukrainian routes. And then there's uh, Ukraine's longstanding wish for Gazprom to sell to European companies at its eastern border so that Ukraine gets the transit fees directly from European buyers. Understood. But again, I can't see why Russia would agree to any of this. It would go against its national economic interests to have Gazprom competing with other Russian companies for the same European buyers, wouldn't it? Yes, exactly. So it would come down to how much pressure Germany feels under to show support for Ukraine. And based on recent comments, Germany has no plans to negotiate an intergovernmental agreement. And basically, that's what makes me think Russia will submit to the regulation for the EU section. It's the least intrusive and most predictable option. Right. So you don't think that Russia will ask for an exemption from these new rules then? No, I don't. The problem is the process for getting an exemption can only start formally once Germany applies the new rules. And that might not happen until around April 2020, next year. And that would be after Nord Stream 2 has started flowing gas if it stays on track. So then Nord Stream 2 would have to stop flowing gas and wait for the exemption process to be completed. And that usually takes about six months. And then the exemption is not guaranteed. It has to be approved by the European Commission. And any positive decision could face a legal challenge from Nord Stream 2's opponents even, like Poland, for example. Okay, so you're saying that submitting to regulation for the EU section looks like Russia's best option. Does that mean that Gazprom would have to unbundle, though? And how can you have an entry point that's not at the start of a pipeline? How does third-party access work if there's only one shipper, one party, Gazprom? Right. Well, these are all very good questions. So on the unbundling, it means that the pipeline operator company in charge of the EU session will have to be certified as independent from Gazprom. But that's not a big deal. It would qualify for the lightest regulation option as an existing vertically integrated company. And incidentally, one of the reasons that option exists is because Germany, which will be doing the certifying, really fought hard for it in the EU's third energy package for its own national gas companies. Right, but what about the entry point issue and third-party access? Well, industry sources tell me that this could be sorted with a virtual balancing point so that anyone could buy gas and capacity to transport it from that notional point. So effectively, you'd just be shifting the starting point for EU rules a few miles offshore. Okay. So what happens next? What, what do we need to look out for? Uh, right, so on the legal side, these changes are on track to be formally approved and to enter into force, which means um, fixed in law, around July. And then EU governments have to apply them within nine months, so that takes us up to around April 2020. And what about the progress of Nord Stream 2 itself then? Well, the big unresolved question there is when it will get the final permit it needs from Denmark. Now, that's going to determine if it will be able to start by the end of this year as planned or not. If it gets beyond August with no permit, then that start date could slip. And then there's the elephant in the room, of course, the idea of a new transit deal between Russia and Ukraine after 2019. Where are we on that? Well, yes, that's a very interesting topic as well. So uh, we know that there is another round of high-level talks on this planned in May, but 
it's not looking very hopeful for a deal this year, I don't think. Okay, well, we could fill another podcast talking about Russia and Ukraine's transit relations, but that's all we have time for today. We'll be following all of this closely here at S&P Global Platts. Thanks for listening and join us again for more Platts Perspectives on Policy.